0: Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. This is Glenn Wheeler. I wanted to say thank you for supporting Mi'kmaq Matters through Patreon or email funds transfer. These are strange and difficult times. I hope you and those dear to you are well and stay well. We'll all be home. This week, more on the proposed Valentine Lake gold mine. One of the major environmental issues to be considered is impact on caribou. In particular, what will be the impact of such a massive project, 200 square kilometers, on caribou migratory routes? Our guest this week is an associate professor of natural resource management. These days, Brian McLaren teaches at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario. But in the early part of the century, he was part of a groundbreaking research project on the impact of the Hopebrook gold mine on caribou who travel in that part of the island, northwards from Burgio. The Hopebrook development was two square kilometers. Valentine Lake will be 100 times bigger. The Hopebrook study was unique in that it looked at caribou before and during the mine development and after it was in operation. Also, researchers made their observations during five periods, including pre-calving, calving, calving, and migration. Brian McLaren says noise is the big issue for caribou, and they will disrupt their patterns to get away from noise. He says that to protect caribou from the stress caused by noise, a mine such as Valentine Lake Will have to maintain a third of the year as quiet time of restricted operations. I spoke with Brian McLaren about how the Hopebrook research was done and the lessons for Valentine Lake. Okay, Brian, so let's uh, let's talk about the study that you worked on um, regarding uh, Hopebrook and uh, caribou and um, impact on caribou from that. Uh, development. It's interesting that the study took place at different times of the year and uh, over a period of time, uh, uh, pre-development, uh, construction, and operation. So tell us about um, the study and how it was uh, uh, set up.
1: Yeah, sure, I can do that. Uh, you must know that I, I actually uh, received the data and and arrived uh, with the with, uh, An interest in analyzing the data when I came to the Newfoundland Labrador Wildlife Division, but the work in the field had been done before. And in fact, the mine was in operation before I arrived there. I, um, therefore wasn't, wasn't involved from the beginning, but uh, you may have seen in the, in the paper that we highlight what you've just said, that it was very important to look at every season. And what we did was we used, uh, well, it was Shane Mahoney and, uh, Uh, his insights into, uh, uh, you know, the environmental assessment process, which was brand new at the time, and the uh, uh, opportunity that that provided because, you know, we could uh, anticipate the development and get baseline data. We could uh, use the dollars that were ascribed to that process by the province um, and uh, make sure that we had a helicopter flight every month. And uh, although it was a, a very small Footprint in the uh, uh, range of the Lapoil caribou herd, we were able, to, you know, at that time to already talk about uh, cumulative impacts, and and that was a big foresight as well on the part of uh, Mahoney and others. Um, so I, yeah, I I was the guy who analyzed the data, but I think I think the I'm still proud of the analysis.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the times of year. Uh, you in the paper it talks about five seasons: winter, late winter, pre-calving, calving, and autumn. So it's almost like you're following the uh, the yearly uh, life cycle of the of the caribou,
1: with a focus on migration. And that's how I collaborated with Shane through all of the data collected through the EA process and others right across uh, Newfoundland and the uh, um we 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 timed it as I say to migration, so that you know the pre calving was the period after uh the the uh caribou left the winter grounds and the uh, uh females would isolate uh as much as they could and uh anticipate the dropping of their calves so um the uh you know and then of course autumn was the period before uh, the snow flew, and that was the expression in Newfoundland as the snow flies, the caribou would start their their uh, migration onto the winter ground
0: and um, the data collection took place over a number of years uh, uh, from um, you know pre uh, uh, development to construction and then mining and and just um, uh, give us a summary of what uh, of what the Research found in terms of impact by this development on on caribou.
1: Yeah, well, it was the uh, pre-calving and calving seasons where the caribou were furthest uh, spread away from the uh, mine, and that was you know statistically significant all the time. And, uh, so, you know, we, we acknowledge that there were no such patterns of avoiding the area prior to disturbance. And that was this, you know, they call it a backy approach before after control impact. So there, there were other herds to compare with and they didn't change their behavior. And before, uh, in those years where, you know, the development was anticipated, um, of the Hopebrook gold mine, uh, you know, n- n- no patterns. But, as soon as we moved to the construction phase, um, especially in that phase, I think uh, there there was the sharpest uh, uh, trend where caribou were avoiding areas that were close to the uh, to the uh, construction area and then that continued in the uh, uh, especially in pre calving and calving um, after uh, the mine went into operation and and the other effect that we looked at was group size, which is kind of a uh, subtle effect that um, would have you know much more meaning in in uh, parts of North America with uh, caribou uh, vulnerable to wolf predation, so um, they still have that instinct, I think most would say in Newfoundland that the caribou would still have that uh, you know disaggregation in the spring because they're concerned that you know there could be wolves around the corner, and of course coyotes are filling that role a little bit today so Uh, what the group size effect showed is that uh, the groups became smaller after construction and development started in the mine. And and so they didn't have that safety in numbers that they would have during the seasons when they do aggregate.
0: When you talk about avoidance, you mean what? That caribou find a detour? They have their, I mean, I guess some of the, the migratory routes have been... Routes that caribou have have used uh, for years and years and years and years, well-worn paths that they take every year. But as soon as there's yes. disturbance, they uh, they're looking for detours.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, uh, that's that's what we found. There was sort of a, a footprint of uh, uh, I think it was as much as four kilometers from the uh, development where uh, they were taking a sidestep um, because because of the noise
0: in terms uh you talk about group size so i get the sense that caribou are kind of um they're social beings they uh they they travel uh in normal circumstances i guess in a herd they're not uh solitary um creatures uh they like uh the company of other caribou when they travel
1: yeah well i guess you know you're 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 uh Kind of suggesting we know their feelings. I, 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 I'm guessing that they do have those sort of feelings of being happier together. But um you know, like many ungulates, we call them social ungulates. That evolution is probably so that they can, uh, uh, feel over time that they're, uh, more secure against predators, like I mentioned. So even if there aren't predators uh, around, um there's a sort of a safety in numbers. It's it's an evolved trait, is what most biologists would say. So you sort of disrupt the caribou's na- natural adaptation when you when you kind of reduce the group uh, sizes.
0: Holbrook uh, was uh, a relatively small uh, development size, two square kilometers, uh, according to the paper. Mm-hmm. With the Valentine Lake development, we're dealing with a much larger footprint. Uh, Marathon Gold, uh, the owner has, uh, rights to an area about 20 kilometers by 10 kilometers and there'll be, um, as many as three open pit mines. And, and of course, uh, road access. It'll operate for 10 years, uh, 24-7 according to the proposal. Uh, so we're dealing with a, uh, an operation on a much larger scale than, um, than hope Brook. um when you talk about uh, you just referred to cumulative uh, impact um, and i wonder if we could talk about the possible cumulative impact of valentine lake what does that what are we talking about when we talk about cumulative impact and how would we go about figuring out what that is in regard to valentine lake
1: yeah um well in the environmental assessment world cumulative impact refers to you know, other developments, other stressors. So, um, it, it wouldn't be, uh, I mean, obviously the, the large footprint that could happen with the uh, Valentine Lake development is, is, is a big concern because it, it would overlap with so many other stressors. That's, that's what I think. So on its own, it would be an area, if I'm remembering right, it would, it would probably be the Buckins herd that goes by there. It would be maybe the Gray River Herd?
0: Uh, the material refers to the Gray, gray River Herd as uh, traveling through that area.
1: Okay. And so they they would have to make a, a, a bigger detour. But then I, I think, you know, the, the cumulative impact idea would add on things like snowmobile use, um, if there's any logging in the area uh, that the Gray River Herd passes through, um, if there are, you know, any other effects that would disturb them. Um, Usually, the environmental assessment process doesn't capture that well, and that's because it sort of takes a, a, a an approach that's fair to the proponent. That you know, the proponent is not responsible for snowmobilers. The proponent is not responsible for 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 the forest operations. The proponent is interested in in the mine development. So uh, that sort of very microscopic look at what's happening is an irritant to most uh, you know environmentalists and ecologists because they would like to see the animals treated as part of a whole ecosystem and, and the disturbances are not one-offs. They're, they're cumulative.
0: Even, uh, you know, this, uh, there's uh, an 80 kilometer access road from Millertown, the, lar- the uh, largest uh, town or the town nearest the development. So one would think that there'll be uh, more traffic on that, uh, on that road than currently. So just uh, even the existence of more traffic, I guess, on that access road we. Would be a cumulative impact that we might uh, have to consider.
1: Oh absolutely yeah I remember stories Shane told me about the uh, construction at uh, Hope Brook when the folks were taking the Bergier Highway uh, who were in buses that the mine company used to get them from wherever they came from to do the work in the mines and uh, uh, they would observe the caribou fleeing from the bus window so you know obviously uh, highway traffic is another of the disturbance
0: Marathon gold, the developer relies on a study from um, uh, Stantech, uh, I guess a consultant company that does does this sort of work and they did a winter wildlife study where they went in and i guess did a count of uh, of caribou and um, I wonder um, based on um, what we talked about uh, in terms of the different uh uh, uh episodes during the year um whether in the winter you would get a complete picture of uh, caribou presence because for example they wouldn't be migrating uh during that area so would there be a possibility there would not be a full uh, a full and accurate count if there was a count uh, during the winter only
1: you know obviously with with my experience you know in in, in the Hope Brook assessment and and many others i uh, i i don't think you can say very much at all from a one off winter survey uh, like you say it's not part of the migratory route it's really interesting just you know one week ago i got a call from a uh, from Golder here in uh, Thunder Bay and they they've been um uh, interested in working together with Watai which is a consortium of of first nations communities i think over 20 who want to be part of a transmission line construction that would take remote communities off of diesel so you know all all good in the in the long run i suppose but the first nations consortium says very loud and clear they want a real assurance that all phases of the construction from from the you know from the logging uh to clear the uh right of way to the construction of towers to the slinging of lines uh, for the power, that that would all be studied. And, uh, initially, Golder wanted to look just at some radio collared caribou that the Ontario government had put into the area. And I said, it's not, that's, you know, have you read the paper on the Hopebrook gold mine? So I was talking about that paper just last week. And there, and the Golder biologists had read it. And they they also acknowledge it's one of these unique papers where we actually did take advantage of the EA process. And by we, I say, you know, Canadians, because it's it's so easy to say, oh, well, we've done this winter survey. But um, at the end of the conversation, and there were a few of them last week before Golder put in the proposal, uh, we, we said, no, you know, we want monthly aerial surveys, if not biweekly, We want participation of the First Nations people in those surveys. We want to use traditional knowledge of the migratory routes. We want to see that, uh, you know, what's actually happening, not noise simulations, but what's actually happening with respect to noise along the transmission corridor uh, uh, while it's being constructed. And, and so uh, I, I think this is a very long answer to your question, of course, but it's too often that we dismiss the importance of very close monitoring of, of uh, the you know the animal populations around
0: us and I suppose in the case of Valentine lake we're almost uh in danger of the the, the horse having left the barn to he use another mammal reference, but <laughs> of course uh, there's been a twelve uh, month year development camp in there that've been drilling and uh, and that that has gone on without any environmental assessment. The environmental assessment process is in place now, but it it a sort of, it assumes that the the time of interest is only once uh, development starts. But of course, many things are already going on that might be measured in terms of impact on caribou.
1: Oh, well, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's, uh, yeah, that, I mean that's just not right.
0: We have this um, this large development in terms of uh, in terms of the research, in terms of the things that we would want to find out um, about impact on caribou. Where uh, what are the questions that you think uh, would need answering? One that comes to mind is the is the ability of caribou to take these detours uh, around a development that is that large. It's one thing to talk about the Brook mine, which was relatively small, but here we're talking about a very large development. What is the ability of uh, caribou to find, um, to uh, sort of, uh, change their migratory routes uh, uh, in response to such a large development?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I don't know that project intimately, but I, I just described one that I got to know last week, and I can use some of the same recommendations there. And I think that, you know, what you really want to do is care for the animal. So the restrictions in place in Ontario would be around uh, keeping sound levels low, um, and, and, you know, sound is the issue. That, that's what they're afraid of. And keeping those sound levels low uh, and uh, obviously allowing development to occur, I'm not against development, but uh, you would put those higher sound levels into less sensitive times of the year, for example, in the winter or, for example, in the summer. So caribou are much more at ease. In those seasons, it's the migratory period, as you point out. It's also the calving period and the pre-calving period. So, you know, Ontario has restrictions there. And so what you'd want to do is you'd want to have frequent enough monitoring of sound. And you'd want frequent enough monitoring of what the caribou are doing around the footprint of the mine. And if you see situations where sound levels are high, where the caribou are, you know, further than their typical migration routes, You you don't want to really just say, oh, well, you know, they're making their way around, because as they're doing that, they're experiencing stress. So what you really want to do is say to the developer, we can go ahead, but not during those sensitive times. And so you you have a monitoring system in place to tell the company exactly what those sensitive times are and how the caribou are responding week to week.
0: Mm. And what? uh, how many weeks a year would that be the the calving and the the migrating season
1: well let me try to remember this again i haven't been in Newfoundland for 15, uh, 15, more than 15 years now 20, 20 some years um i think it's uh, uh you, you'd be looking at you know early may i think i i'd start being concerned and uh uh then calves would start to drop in early june so you'd want early May to July, July 1st, and then you can consider July, August, kind of a a, a fine time to go ahead. Um, Autumn might be a little bit more sensitive, um, but, you know, you could still go ahead with development. And then by November, you'd want to be back to quiet time because that's the migration time.
0: So there might be uh, anywhere from about a third of the year or more would need to be quiet time if we want to have due regard for (laughs) caribou.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, and, and just thinking about my conversations last week, that's sort of, you know, that's, that's the way the, the consulting world and the, uh, um, the EA uh, uh, world and the, and the developing world, uh, sorry, the world of developers is sort of thinking. They say, oh, oh, this is very stringent, you know, a third of the year, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's not, I mean, you've got two-thirds of the year to go ahead, and you've also got a lot of things that can happen during quiet time.
0: Brian McLaren. Associate Professor of Natural Resource Management at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario. The paper we were discussing is entitled Effects of Mine Development on Woodland Caribou Distribution. On our Facebook, you'll see instructions on how to find it. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters, thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Miobagag, First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.